0: All right, can's on, mic's up, level's good. You got me over there? All right, let's roll.
1: This is Booth the Booth, your direct line to the latest in home voiceover production with your favorite home VO experts throughout the industry, all across the internet, and all around the world. Booth the Booth is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN, the focus is on you. By Andrew Scott Media, making your media matter. By Booth Stuff, unique VO fashion and swag that's as loud and proud as you are. And by the kind support of our viewers and listeners all around the world via Kofi. Kofi, helping you give back to the creators that help you the most. The session clock is running, and all the mics are hot. So let's patch in and get this session started. Here's your host, VO coach, narrator, and producer, Andrew Scott.
0: And hello, and welcome to Booth to Booth. I am your host, Andrew Scott, and today I am being joined by Paul Schmidt, VO talent and producer. Paul, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm great,
2: Andrew. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Yeah. you. we'll get to this, but we're going to start off with this. You kind of kicked a bit of an anthill recently. (laughs) And um, that's how uh, your visibility was given to me. Uh, A number of people in my VO bubble kept saying, Hey, have you seen this? And putting the link up and everything. Um, And it's something that I really feel that beginning VO talent don't give enough consideration. They get a mic, they get set up, they start doing demos, and then they're like, where do I put them? Oh, they're these things called pay-to-play sites. And oh, look, this, this job's worth $1,500, and this job, mm-hmm. is, you know, and they don't actually consider the background of the P2P, the whole mechanism of how it works, and whether or not it's actually where they should be. So exactly. before we get into that, Paul, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on you, what you do, how you've been doing it, and how long you've been doing it?
2: Sure. So, uh, God, I think I'm coming up on 24 years as a voice actor. Um, for me, it was a pretty slow boil. So I came up through first when I was a kid theater. Uh, and then, uh, I hit freshman year of college, made the main stage. We were doing checkoff. I found it way too self-indulgent and went, "Ah, I'm going to take a break. Right. So, um, I went across the, the aisle, uh, the, the road really between, uh, the theater and, the broadcasting building and stumbled into the radio station and uh, and a guy named Jim English who was my first radio instructor and he told me I was to I was to go tell the general manager that I wanted two morning shifts a week <laughs> and I uh, shouldn't take no for an answer so there you go I said, okay so I, I said am I getting punished <laughs> <laughs> he said no. Uh, so I got into radio and I was in radio, professional radio for 15 years. I eventually migrated to the, uh, to the digital side of radio. I came off the air and was a digital sales manager for a group of intercom stations, intercom now Odyssey. Um, and w- kept my feet wet in, in voice acting. And, and it started when I was on the air, people would say, Hey, you did our uh, cable spot. Would you, I mean, you did our radio spot. Would you do our cable spot? Right. And I would do the same punchy read I did for the radio spot on cable and they didn't know the difference. Cause I didn't know the difference. Right. And everybody was happy. And I made a few extra bucks. Right. Great and help. that's, that's the way it went for a while. So. How many um, talents start out earning gas money? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was maybe beer money, but I drank a lot more beer in those days. So oh, it really man. wasn't even that. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, um, then, uh, I went into technology. I had met my wife, had a son, um, and we moved around a little bit and, uh, still, I had clients and folks coming to me occasionally, a few times a year. Hey, you know, would you do this for us? Would you do that for us? And then I was working for a technology company in Rochester, New York, and we sold, I sold a $1.7 million website to Ernst & Young. Okay. And one of the, <laughs> yeah, they've been around a bit. Um, they, and And one of our project managers had the idea, hey, why don't we do an onboarding video so that their clients actually know how to use this huge site that we've built. Great right. idea. True. I'll voice it. Blah, blah, blah. We did a series of like three or four of them for, for Ernst and Young, and they seemed to love the videos. And every time, Andrew, I was like, you know what? I really love this work. I should do more of this. And the second time rolled around and I said, you know what? I really love this work. I should do more of this. And the third time came and I said, you know what? You moron, you love this work. It doesn't suck. <laughs> Why we- it's exactly why are you not doing this so that's when i actually uh, occurred to me oh uh let me actually pursue this rather than just taking stuff as it comes and what that's old, what i did
0: what year are we at about in this oh
2: god what is what is it now we're going into 23 this would have been around 15 or 16
0: okay so uh, at this point in time really the the independent home vo gig was just really starting to gain visibility in the public. You know, before that we had people like Don LaFontaine who, you know, brought their, their former career of voice of God and went, I make enough money doing this for Paramount now. I'm just going to run an ISD in line into my house. I don't want to go to some studio, but you were at that nexus point where I was, where Suddenly the technology caught up. I mean, beforehand, we had hard times with hard drives spinning fast enough to be able to record a decent signal and all the treatment, et cetera, et cetera. But right about that time, 14, 15, 16 is when the, the, the dam really broke. And did, did part of that factor in for you where you said, no, I can do this from here. I
2: don't, you know, I don't need to go anywhere if I don't want to. So. Let's let's hold in about 2015, and then let's go back to like 1993, 1995. Okay. And my first crack at voiceover, I was still uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. Mm-hmm. Actually, I started. In, you know, I was still in Baltimore, where I grew up, uh, and got you know the, the cassette demos made and the J cards. Right. Right. I'm not quite yeah. old enough to to have a demo on on wax cylinder, but. <laughs> But, but a cassette was about as far back as I go.
0: I can reach right behind me and get reel to reel with my voice on it. So. Yeah, yeah. Niche.
2: Yeah. I still had a reel to reel machine at that point. At any rate, at that point, the whole world was, the whole voiceover world was controlled by casting directors and talent agents, right? And you were either union and you worked or you weren't and you didn't, right? right? Because that was the only way to get work. Now you fast forward 15 years. And digital video has now started to explode and suddenly every company is a media company. Right. Right. And there's this, this just mushroom cloud of work out there that you're right, coincided with the technology falling into place. Mm -hmm. And it, and I remember right where I was standing, just the other side of this wall, right. I was standing behind the love seat in my living room and I went, wait a minute, hold on here. Uh, Mike, uh, experience, audio production experience, web development experience, sales and marketing, and, oh, yeah, holy crap, I can go after my own work? Right. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. You're, mean, you're bringing contacts in with you and not small contacts. Yeah. You're bringing in legitimate contacts from your voiceover broadcast past that already have budget, that understand what it means to pay talent.
2: And while that's true, that's not enough to support you, right? I don't it's think not unless... Enough. Yeah, it's just not, right? Because uh, you've got to learn how to start and grow relationships from scratch, right? right? That's, that's the way you're going to build a sustainable business. But I knew I could do that because I knew I had the experience in other, uh, right. in other lines of work. Right. And that was how, frankly, all this shit got started. Right? right. Uh, and, and it changed my life. It really did. I think it's overblown to say that voiceover saved my life, but it certainly saved my mental health. For sure. I I yeah.
0: will I will stand uh next to you locked arm in arm saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh I I really do honestly believe cuz you know I got into it I like you uh I'd done broadcast for a while I did live sound reinforcement I was a roadie for many years I was a DJ for many years but really for me um you know I fell away for a while did a bunch of other things then wound up it, it, about uh about 8 years ago Getting fired from a telemarketing job the first time I'd ever been fired in my entire life, and went, You know what uh, and I just fell back on the if not now, when when are you going to actually throw it on and try this? Um, when are you going to actually value yourself enough to just throw in and make it happen and just yeah. don 't take no for an answer and uh, I agree with you it it saved my mental health, and Lord knows through the pandemic. Uh, it it's, it is the thing that has kept me screwed together and yeah. i'm interested to know from your point of view the the pandemic you know aside from the fact that it's going to be something that we're going to be talking about for the rest of our lives and into the future i experienced as a producer and a director and a content creator i experienced the biggest rush of business from the pandemic in my entire up until that time, six years doing this full-time. I was suddenly underwater. What did the pandemic do for your business, if anything?
2: It opened my eyes. And, and, and why I say that is I was already full-time by then. I was already making a decent living, right? Uh, but so a couple of things happened. Before the pandemic, I was, uh, when I first got my business off the ground, uh, one of my gateway clients I was doing, I was their voice of, uh, their training voice for corporate training. Mm-hmm. And we did like 50 videos together, uh, over the course of about six months and things were great. Andrew, I'm telling you, man, they would send me scripts. I'd knock them out within the hour They I'd send them the invoice. They would pay me within the hour, within the hour, Life Andrew, good. right? Yeah. Like it was, and I'm, you know, I'm freshly full time and I'm going, man, I'm killing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> and, <laughs> so uh that August, uh, that july we had a phone call and uh they said look dude we we love you we love your work we love your customer service uh we love the product uh we've got four more lines of videos we want to do with you maybe six uh and and i i, I wrote this quote down during the call they were they said the work is virtually endless right right oh uh- yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh my god. And 2 weeks later they called and said, "Yeah, the CEO wants a younger sounding guy. Thanks. Have a nice day." And that was half of my income, right? Because my business, my full-time business was so new, right? And right. they were such a big client. I was getting yeah. 2 or that 3 scripts a day. That was right? like getting
0: the tent pole yanked out right when you were yeah. in
2: the center of the of the circus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that happened. Uh, but I was still, I was doing okay, but I was doing other things to kind of scotch tape everything together. I was driving Lyft. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when the pandemic hit, I specifically remembered, uh, I don't know, there was, there was a quote I had seen somewhere. I don't know whether it was Warren Buffett or whoever it was, but, uh, and I think I had seen it in 08 with the crash. Right. Right. And it, it, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something like those who double down in times of crisis come through much stronger because it wipes out so many of the competition, right? That's the idea behind whatever this quote was. I think that was Gary Vaynerchuk.
0: May have been. I, I vaguely it may remember have it, been. But regardless, the wisdom is, is monolithic and stands alone.
2: And so when the pandemic hit, it like it opened my eyes because I realized I still had one foot on the dock, right? right? I wasn't quite all in, right? I still had a safety net here and there. And I went, okay, let's go right? Let's double down. And I threw every bit of effort and time and energy and everything I had to grow my business. And I actually did. I I went the first year of the pandemic, I grew by about 10%. And then the year after that, I doubled. There you go. So yeah. Um, And sadly, it did wipe out a lot of people that were doing fairly well in voiceover. And a lot of those, even if they weren't wiped out, New York and LA talent, especially New York, because one thing I noticed was from my New York agent, when the pandemic hit, my auditions went through the roof Mm. because everybody in New York, nobody could get out of their house to go to the studio to audition. And that's what a lot of those those folks were doing.
0: I mean, we have this famous picture from the beginning of the pandemic of Ira Glass of This American Life, literally in his closet, in bare feet, Recording an episode of This American Life. You're you're right. Some of the larger markets, the talent was so dependent upon external studios and other, you know, things in the outside world. You're right. I heard from a number of people that were saying the exact same thing. Well, yeah, this would be great, but I'm stuck here. And I'm just like sitting in my own studio going, the only thing I'm stuck for is finding 28 hours in a day, man. I (laughs) just it's raining. Um and it's it's interesting to hear, and I'm bringing this up for uh, our listeners. It's interesting to hear that you were you were rather well placed by way of where you started out in voiceover, but you were still having side gigs. Yeah, um, and you know that's a valid path for me for a lot of people that I think gets gets ignored or glossed over. Oh, I have to go all in at the very first moment and. No, there are people with a lot of experience who've got hundreds, thousands of hours on the mic who still need that ramp up time and or still kind of are a little nervous to step off that dock entirely. Yeah.
2: And so I think it can be I think it can be a security blanket.
0: I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say you're a great example of that kind of a measured approach. And then there is that light bulb moment for many people. Now What that light bulb moment is when you go, yeah, full time, all in, here's my chips. That's different for everybody by way of circumstance, your life circumstances, financial circumstances, all that. It's one of the reasons why, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was telling people, yeah, you might think this is a great time. You've got that $1,200 stimulus check sitting on your kitchen table and you're trying to crystal ball a murky future. Yeah, you're right. There's part of you inside that says this is the time to do it. Is it really? <laughs> and I'm I I I I don't want to say that I dissuade people from starting. I'm all about just grab a mic, get in the closet and go. But when you're talking about the the leverage point between giving it your best effort and risking everything. Yeah. That's different for different people and I really encourage uh, my listeners and my followers to pay attention to people like you who had everything going for them, all the contacts, the technology, the know-how, the, the the artistry and practice. and yet you still didn't just dive in head
2: first. Here's the reality. No matter who you are, you will get punched in the mouth. right? For me, it was losing that big client, right? <clears throat> Uh, there's going to come a day where you're going to go, oh dear God, what have I done? Right? <laughs> oh yeah. And you got to get through that, right? Yeah. You've got to get through that moment. But and he, uh, he, I mean, he said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Until they get punched in the <laughs> mouth, exactly. Uh, and for you know, one of the guys that that, that taught me down off the ledge was Brad Highland. You hmm. know, I called I called Brad in a sheer panic, and he's like, "Dude, I know you. I know you're all about clients and long term." and you know always looking at the horizon but right now you've got a crisis to manage and you've got to do that and he he advised me jump on the play to plays pay to place and get some work in the door and he was right, right you know Well, and I tell you what,
0: when we come back from this quick break, we are going to dive into pay to play for good and maybe not so much. But (laughs) this is Andrew Scott. That, of course, is my guest, Paul Schmidt. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network, and you're listening to slash watching Booth to Booth. We'll be back in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Booth to Booth is brought to you in part by Boothstuff.com the home of the world's most unique VO casual fashion and swag. You know, this thing that we do is pretty... unique. So, slap on a Booth Stuff t-shirt that tells the world, or, you know, your cat, that being in a tiny room by yourself is where you truly belong. Shirts, hats, pants, mugs, and more. Well, not a lot more. Actually, that's pretty much it, anyway. Booth Stuff is the one and only home for VO-centric swag that lets the world know what you do with that mouth of yours. So, head on over to BoothStuff.com and get something that shows the world who you are and what you love to do. BoothStuff.com. Loud and proud. And welcome back to Booth to Booth. I am Andrew Scott, and I am talking today with VO talent and producer Paul Schmidt. And Paul, uh, when we started off this interview, I had made mention of the fact that you uh, you kind of recently kicked a bit of an anthill. Um, and for my listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with you, Paul has a great offering on YouTube. The link will be down in the description. But Really, one of the things in the last number of months that's gotten a lot of visibility for you, Paul, is you came out with, uh, unlike me, who came out with a list of weird gifts to buy voice talent, you came out with your own Christmas list about pay-to-play and what you'd like to see from it versus what it currently is. And... We'll take a quick second here, and I'll show you a clip of this video right now.
2: I wish all of the pay-to-plays were ethical. Look, the chief offender here, of course, is Voices.com, but they're certainly not the only ones that put profit before talent and clients. These companies control a huge amount of work globally in the voiceover business, and it's a travesty to me that, rather than seeing themselves as leaders and stewards of our industry, They couldn't give a reindeer turd about anything else other than putting profit ahead of people, clients, and talent. I wish more voiceover casting pay-to-play sites were run ethically, like Cast Voices, like VO Planet, like Badalgo, etc. These companies understand what goes into becoming a great voice actor. They know what it means to provide excellent customer service to the VO buyer. They champion fair and established rates for talent, and they get that business is about service and relationships, and they act and run their businesses accordingly. Okay, so it's kind of easy to understand why
0: that would make a bit of a ripple with people. Why don't you tell us about your motivations for doing that? I mean, you weren't going to get anything back from it immediately, but you put it out there in the public sphere.
2: What was the motivation for that? The motivation is always to try and help folks, right? And I think that, you know, as as great as the technology is, as great as this business is, as great as, you know, 99.9% of the people in this business are, it's still despite all that it's still a bit of the wild wild west right mm. um and so there's a lot of conflicting information there's a lot of confusion in our business especially especially among newer talent i don't know that that's ever going to go away mm. right. but i also don't know yep. that it's a reason for us not pardon me to um to try and and set people on a, on the straight and narrow path and so my motivation was i always approach it as okay What's the stuff that I needed to know that was really difficult to find out when I was new? Uh, and I don't want it sugarcoated. I don't want people to blow smoke. I don't want euphemisms. I want people who are kind, but honest and direct. And that's kind of the tone that I try to to, to attain whenever I'm doing you know videos, content, whatever it is. I, I want people to know that I'm not going to BS them, right? I'm just not. Uh, they may not. They'll probably get a little bit more opinion than they will, uh, you know, uh, sprinkled in with the facts. Sure. Uh, but that opinion is based on my experience, and I'm. All, I try to be always honest and upfront about that. So kicking the ad hill, I think, was unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy, a friend of mine, Michael Waite, that commented on on the video that you're talking about, and he said, you know, I really applaud your effort to take on the, you know, Goliath. And that's not what it was. uh, With all due respect to Michael, Uh, it was simply just trying to help people out and give them the information uh, that, you know, if you're going to be with certain pay-to-plays, you should understand what has transpired historically and what that means for talent. And that was really the whole impetus behind. And, and the the Christmas wish list had a bunch of stuff on it. Yeah. It's just that one wish was the, was what you call the kicking of the anthill. And that's what got so much, you know, for lack of a better term, buzz, I suppose. And it's because of that one question
0: that your following video, I believe it was your following video, it followed directly on the heels. Yeah. Um, that's the one that actually... Uh, for me, looked a little bit more like David versus Goliath because, uh, Goliath reached out. Yeah. Or at least one of the Goliaths reached out. Yeah.
2: So I had some things to say, uh, about voices. And, uh, the very next day after that video came out, I got an email from David Cicerelli and David essentially said, Hey, uh, you know, I, he read the article, I, I, I transcribed the video and I posted it on my blog at paulschmidtpro.com. So he apparently, I suppose, read the written version. Right. And he reached out and, uh, said some kind things about it because, you know, there were other things in the Christmas, in the Christmas wish list that were more, uh, altruistic and, and wishful about our whole business. Right. I wish we could all get better trained, you know, other things. And, and he said some kind words about that. And then he took offense to, uh, the assertion that I, I, I said that Voices puts profit before people, profit and, before talent. Yeah. And to, he,
0: to be clear for our viewers and our yeah. listeners, David Cicerelli is the founder and CEO of Voices.com. I believe he's still CEO, isn't he?
2: He is. Yeah. It's now owned by a venture capital company, mm-hmm. but he's still, he still runs Voices.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, um, to say that he was asking for clarification on how to be better. That's what he presented. Yes. What did you really take away from him reaching out to you?
2: Honestly, uh, and I don't mean to assassinate the man's character. I don't know him, but right. I took it as posturing yeah. because he's well aware, not only of what the company's done in the past, because he's been been with it since day one. He's the founder Yeah. Uh, But he's also well aware of how they are perceived, I think, by the professional voiceover community. Certainly. And it's not good. And so when someone says, you know, how can we improve? Well, they already know. Yeah. Right. They already. But the the point of the of that video was not to uh, to educate David because he was well aware already, uh, but it was to educate others who may not be aware. Exactly. And so, uh, it was the perfect opportunity to do, to do, uh, to do just that.
0: I think it's safe to say, um, for whenever you're dealing with a large corporate entity and you hear them say, how can we do better? They know. And essentially what they're saying is, oh yeah, little guy, what do you know? Right. And I was very bothered, uh, by, by the tone that came off in that. Um, And uh, again, you might not be Davey, you might not self-perceive yourself as Davey, but I really deeply appreciated that you answered the questions specifically and that you did it in a professional and courteous way without pulling any punches. Because in my mind, and we're going to really move into the pay-to-play talk now, This is not, and I want to be clear as a broadcaster, this is not a let's dig on voices.com show. I don't know you, uh, David, but this problem or this attitude of these platforms is endemic. It is pretty much all over them. And yet, unless you're somebody like you are or I am, where we have some previous contacts and contracts from before the Wild West, really, where does a new talent go? And yeah. we're going to start talking about, and I, I encourage our listeners and viewers to accept us saying pay to play as pretty much everything, unless we make a specific uh, you know, example of somebody else. So one of my users uh, on my Discord server, Jason asks, So I have no prior experience with voiceovers or voice acting or any of the adjacent professions, broadcast, radio, sound engineering, et cetera. So most, if not all of what I've heard about pay to play sites is negative. So should I even be bothering with that at this point, being that I'm just starting out or where can I use the money more effectively for other things like coaching equipment, self-learning resources like Skillshare? I think that's a great question because there's so much static right now about the pay to play platforms and our industry that if I were a new talent, I would really be using, I I would be experiencing that as a stumbling point. Do I even start here? Everybody says this is terrible, but where else do I get work?
2: Yeah. And I think that, um, and thanks for that question. Is it Jason, is it? Yeah, it's Jason. Jason. So thank you. Um, I think that there just as dangerous as the pay to plays are some of our brothers and sisters who rather than teaching how to become a professional in our business are teaching how to make beer money by the end of the month. Mm. Right. And, and they're looking very short term, right? Anybody can go on, you know, Voices or Fiverr or Upwork or you name it, right, and make some some money, right? <clears throat> and I don't begrudge people that. People think I'm I'm anti freelancer sites or anti pay to place. I am for professionals. I think if you decide you want to do this for a living, then there's a right way to do it, right? And there's a bunch of different veins in that right way. But I think that um, you know it, there are hobbyists. There are people who never have any desire to be a pro. There are people that are doing it in retirement for a little something to do. There are college students doing it because it's fun and, and whatever. And I applaud that, right? I think that's great. But for the professional, uh, if you if you go down that easy easy early money road, because like everything else, Fiverr and Upwork to be you can make six figures on those platforms, sure. But it's just as hard as making six figures the quote unquote right way. Right. Because if it were that easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. So even those alternative paths, we'll call them, they take a lot of work. They take a lot of learning and a lot of just trial and error and experiment. So um, it's not just the pay to plays that are contributing to not only the commoditization of what we do, but the sort of short term get rich quick thing. Uh, That really, really bothers me because this business is like most others. It's going to take you years and not weeks or months to get good at what you do and to command professional rates, right? And so, Jason, to answer your question, right now, your focus as a brand new person is to get really good at voice acting, Mm -hmm. right? and the old cliche is true they call it voice acting it's about three percent voice and about 97 percent acting absolutely that's that's where your focus needs to be because right now you don't have a product to sell if you want to be a pro right can you talk yes can you be a voice actor not yet you got to work at that we all do uh some more than others but we all got to work at it um well, I think it's so
0: the, a, a really important too uh, for people, there's this, this, there's this running battle between people who refer to themselves as voice actors or voice over guys or girls. Yeah. Um, and I'm one of the people who says, if you are opening your mouth and making sounds about information, that's not coming from your own brain, you're acting. And so voice over yeah. is voice acting. Anytime you're doing intonation and modulation and, tweaking a read between an A and a B take and that's voice acting. And so I'm glad to hear you referring to yourself as a voice actor and not a voiceover guy. Um, because I'm really trying to reinforce that to people you're acting. So embrace being a capital A
2: actor. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure that out, right? Because despite a theater background, I came into this from broadcasting. Mm Mm-hmm. And you don't like the like you. There's just a different mindset. You don't hear about actors in broadcasting, right? Broadcasting has its own sort of uh, persona, right? Um, And and it's really punchy, and everything is you know delivered like an urgent weather update. Everything, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And there's there's good reasons for that too. Sure, Uh, but this is a different animal. I had I had a guy who's a local anchor person on TV here in my home market, uh, he didn't reach out. Uh, he was on Instagram and essentially said with a certain amount of swagger, Hey, got the pipes, got the gear. How do I make money on Fiverr? And I'm thinking, Oh dear. Right. Yeah. Uh, and a couple people, uh, suggested, you know, Hey, this dude's in your hometown. You might want to reach out to him. And I said, Hey, uh, look, I'm here. Uh, it is a little bit more about acting and performance than just about keying a mic and being able to speak English. Right. right. Um, but I think a lot of my ex broadcasting or current broadcasting brethren and sisters, mm, I think they overestimate that, right? I, right? Like it is, it is a different beast. It just is.
0: It's really interesting. And, I I know about five or six uh, former traffic people, traffic and, you know, and, and, and or marketers who, who got into independent voice acting from their broadcast background, but to the man or woman, like you said, received a very ugly wake-up call mm-hmm. as to what industry they were stepping into from something that was so familiar to them.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, I, right now I'm coaching with the Amazing. Tina Morasco on commercial. Right. And she still, after all these years is still finding little ways to beat the announcer out of me. Right. (laughs) And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a process because when you spend 15, 20 years uh, in a certain style of read, then, you know, you've got to relearn all of that and and, and, um, I'm no different.
0: Yeah, it becomes your default. If I could still make money doing Sunday, Sunday, Great Lakes, Drag Away, Union Grove, Wisconsin, I would, but I can't because that's not there anymore. And people, and really the market on whole, I really believe the market on whole has shifted away from, you know, back when you and I were in broadcast where it was that OTT, over the top all the time. We've got a very narrow bandwidth to punch ourselves through in somebody's car and we got to get their attention. Now it is shifted over into well something that was beneficial for me because I couch myself and I'm accepted in the community as an everyman voice. I am the dude next door. Um, you know, or if if you need some guy from New York, I can be that guy, you know, kind of. But I don't do a lot of voice work. I'm known for being a an accessible voice like yours. But at the same time, you're right. I got that shadow behind me all the time. That is Mr. OTT that's gonna get it done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been interested in how the tone of the market has changed over the last decade or so. And really, I feel that that change has benefited more people wanting to get into this industry. Because, I think so too. Because you're right. Yeah. we were stereotypes for a good reason. We, <laughs> we were what people were paying for. But now there's such a wider palette of voices available and marketers and content creators are taking advantage of that they want things to sound more
2: personal and that just gives more
0: talent more of a
2: shot absolutely and one of the great things about this business you go back 25 30 years everybody that was successful in voiceover looked like you and looked like me mm-hmm. they were they had a penis and they were white Yep. Right. Exactly. And that was, <laughs> that was, and I'm going to bleep that. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's true. Right. And now, like when I hear, when I hear women doing promo, right. When I hear awesome. uh, people of color, you know, when Donovan Courtneets, right. When I hear that guy, dude, uh, there, there might not be a better promo guy in the country. Where, God,
0: right? if I could wake up for just one day with that read and that voice, I would yeah. say I won.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, and he, he's, ama- you know, and he's an amazing person too. Uh, but now everybody's getting the opportunities that they should get. Right. And it's not just all filtered through the same 250 white dudes. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I love, you know, it makes me, it makes me need to be more competitive. It makes me want to work harder. Right. But it also makes me concentrate on what I do well.
0: Yeah. And that is, you you're, you're right. And, um, you know, I have, I have coaching students all over the, the gender spectrum and the racial spectrum. And I, I love working with people who don't sound like me. (laughs) It's, it's great. It makes me feel good about my industry and it makes me feel good about a person because when the differences are so pronounced and sometimes they can be, sometimes they're just a matter of degree, but what's wonderful for me as a coach is to get somebody who gives me a shot as a coach, even though we might be very different people, but then gets that light bulb moment of, I give them a technique that, that goes beyond race, goes beyond speech and style and just works. And yeah.
2: they suddenly go, Oh yeah. Yeah. I think the best coaches, and and, and this is so true for Tina uh, the best coaches have a way of getting us back to who we really are, I right? To get really. our authentic selves out of our mouths, mm-hmm. uh, because this this thing and this thing, yeah, uh, they you know there's an there's a built-in self-consciousness there that we spend the rest of our careers trying to tamp down. Yep, and that's what the great coaches do is they're able to to allow ourselves to come out. I couldn't agree more.
0: And the other thing that that these all this technology does is it it tends to give you a false sense of confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often say this to very new talent. The first time you ever hear yourself going through a good set of preamps and a good microphone with good listening back, you suddenly feel 20 feet tall. Yeah. And that's great and that's a wonderful thing that's a wonderful thing to experience but it ain't the truth, because I tell you what, five minutes later is going to be your first audition rejection, followed by the other 99. Yeah, <laughs> so you've, you've yeah. got to have... Buckle up. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> going to be a bumpy ride. But yeah. it's so hard at times to leverage the, the excitement that doing this kind of work gives people versus the reality. And as we move forward with our questions... One of my users, Trenton asks, say I have $200 burning in my pocket right now. If you don't recommend putting this towards pay to play sites, what should I put it towards? My studio is as good as it will be without taking out $10,000 for a whisper booth. um, And I've yet to take coaching or classes. What do you recommend?
2: Take coaching in classes because, <laughs> right? Because
0: I, I, I totally served you up a softball there, but yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, absolutely. Because I can hand you a Stradivarius, but if you don't know how to play a goddamn violin. Right. What's, what's the point? It's right? Yeah. We all have instruments. It doesn't mean we know how to play them, right? Learn how to play your instrument, learn to get really good, learn to be an actor. And you don't always have to spend money, right? Especially when you're new. Uh, go to your community college, go to your local theater or improv group. Chances are they have classes that are either free or or cheap, but anywhere you can learn to be, to act, to perform and to do it in a real authentic way, you're going to benefit yourself.
0: And we're not Again, even talking about VO specific stuff as no. you go to your local community theater and, you know, say, I just like to practice the actings and yes. it's just anything that has As its center point, the ability to bring you out of yourself and give you a projected voice, that's good work to do. And
2: uh, that is true to get started. But sooner or later, and I talk to a lot of voice actors doing what I do, you've got to get voiceover specific training. Yeah. Right. Uh, Theater actors, theater is very big. Right. You've got to hit the back wall. They've got to hear you in the the last row. Mm -hmm. Radio is very big. Right. TV uh, news is very big. But when you're doing voiceover, right, you know, even trailer, everybody thinks trailer is big. Trailer is very small. Yeah. Right. It's intense, but it's small because this human ear is four inches from your mouth. And if you're too big, you're either going to be announcery or boomy or whatever. So you do have to get voiceover specific training. If you're new and you've got a couple hundred bucks uh, burning in your pocket couple hundred bucks isn't gonna go very far but if you can maybe split it in half most reputable coaches will offer you a free session or a reduced price session or let you audit a session or see a recording of a session uh, so that you can start to get an idea of fit and so much of coaching the effectiveness of coaching relies on fit right exactly. I've been with I had one particular commercial coach. I was with for a couple of years. Uh, I learned a lot, but we were not a fit, right? When, when that person talked, I had to decipher everything Oof. because we just, it and a great coach, right? Has coached a lot of really big names in this, in this business, but just was not a fit for me. Now I'm with Tina. Like she can, she can give me a look and I get it. Right. Wow. It's just, it's just fit. Yep. Right. That's all it is.
0: You're right. You're totally right. Not everybody would respond to, uh, you know, being coached by, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda.
2: Um,
0: and, and that's true. And I think that that's really significant. That's one of the reasons why, you know, every single one, uh, if somebody comes to me for coaching, we have a 30 minute meet and greet that typically turns into an hour and a half because (laughs) I'm one of the guys that just doesn't stop. I let you, you know, because, That discovery at that time is me learning, me getting a few ideas about maybe where we need to go, but more letting you or, you know, in your case with Tina, getting the feel for that person. Now we all have experiences in our academic youth where you had to learn from somebody whose style you really didn't jibe with, really didn't like, and Those were generally the classes where when you suddenly discovered that you needed them in your early uh, middle age, went, man, I wish that guy wasn't such a jackass. I really need to know that right now. Right. But having that experience, finding a person who's going to be willing to to tell you the truth, the real truth that you probably don't often want to hear, but really need to hear it that's where coaching really starts getting people traction. And people like you and I, who've been doing this for years, we still have coaches. We still value coaching. And it's not because we need the rudiments or that we need to be reminded of this or that. It's because one of the other things that a good coach does, in much the same way that a Zen Roshi does, if you're practicing Zen Buddhist meditation, they're not there to totally you know, turn you 180 degrees and say you're going in the wrong direction. A good coach, a good Roshi, a good teacher of anything is there to turn you about two and a half degrees and just change your perspective a tiny little bit because two and a half degrees is a completely different view. And suddenly something makes more sense or something becomes visible to you. And that's why Pavarotti up until the day he died had a vocal coach. And so many people like you and I do. What do you get out of your coaching now with Tina that makes it the thing that
2: brings you back? The thing that she pounds on me is do the, the hard work. And that for me is the context and the scene setting, right? Mm-hmm. It's, not that, uh, it's not that I can't read. It's not that I can't act, right? Turns out I'm a pretty good actor. But I've got to do the work up front to get in the right headspace to be able to deliver that copy in a real and authentic way. And when I get lazy, I don't do that,
0: Uh, right? And when you're by yourself and you're lazy, there's nobody there to tell you, hey, you're being lazy.
2: Exactly. Sometimes it's being lazy. Sometimes it's, I've got three auditions to get out in the next 15 minutes. Right. Right. But you've still got to stop down enough to, to put the work in to get the scene right. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing that keeps me coming back to her.
0: that perspective. I, I, I know that I sound like a shill for my own business, but too bad. Um, coaching is probably the most valuable, the highest ROI for a beginning talent. Mm-hmm. It is, I, I honestly put it in this order. I put it environment, coaching, microphone. And microphone is tentatively at number three. Right, because there is so much work to do with those first two, to get mm-hmm. you ready. Um, that re- that's one of the reasons why I structure my coaching the way I do, and the why it's priced the way I do, because I want people to have access to that at a at a place where they are right now, with yeah. a mic in a box, you know, <laughs> trying to look around for where can I move that thing in order to get into the closet. Yeah. Um. So. We've got a couple other questions, but before we dive into these, cause these are all very P2P specific. I, I think I want to reinforce to people something that might be a misconception about you and about these last couple videos that you put out. Okay. It's not that you are being a Davy against Goliath. It's that you want to show people that pay to play is one facet of your business. And that's not something that you have to go all in on. And it's not something Mm -hmm. that you need to be connected to forever. I don't use any pay-to-play sites. I am busier than I've ever been. So like you, there's a point where talent gets established enough that you can either look for different avenues or you can step back from it because the business that you've built and the relationships that you've developed self-sustain and self-perpetuate.
2: Absolutely. And that's where I try to get all of my students, right? Um, I, you know, I, I did a a video several weeks back called Smart P2P on Mm -hmm. my YouTube channel. Uh, And, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, Paul's, uh, you know, he's against the pay-to-plays. That's not true. It's about using the right tool for the right job, right? There are several scenarios. I went through one of them. We talked about it earlier, right? When I lost that huge client, Brad Hyland said to me, dude, you got to manage a crisis. Get on the pay-to-plays and get the work coming in. He was absolutely right. And that's one way to use P2Ps smartly. But to think that you're just going to jump on Fiverr, jump on Voices, jump on 123, jump on Upwork, right? And I don't necessarily even want to lump them all together for for various reasons, but huh. to the idea that you're just going to go to these platforms to find work, well, now you're making yourself beholden to the rules of the platforms and by the way, you're giving away 20 or in sometimes, you know, 20% or or a lot higher, right? right? Depending on yeah. the platform and the job. So, why would you do that, right? The when you're new, when you uh, have to get your audition process down, right? Well, you, you're new. It takes you half an hour to crank out an audition, right? Right, because you're you're technically still pulling your process it's together. The you're, half, it's the half hour, five minute read. Absolutely, you're gonna overthink it into the ground, right? Uh, but that shrinks. The more you do it, the better you get at it, and that you you can shrink that down to five minutes, right? You mm-hmm. need a source of auditions to do that, and the sure. pay to plays can be a great way to do that, even uh even some of the freelancer sites i don't really want to go there but you need a source right. of auditions and when you're not represented and you don't have relationships built yet that's about the only way to do it now here's the thing everybody thinks that that's step 1 and it's not getting good is step 1 right do not go into your first coach with the goal being get that demo get that demo get that demo the getting the demo is not the goal the goal is to be proficient enough so that when you do the demo, the demo is a, an accurate representation of what you can really do. Uh And you know, and, and, and not, uh, you know, if your demo is great and you can't do that in the booth,
0: I've said it three times today. (laughs) Anybody who just gives you a $2,000 demo, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Yep. Yeah. And you can't even get close to that. Man, you are going to be side-eyeing them as much as the client who booked you from that
2: demo goes, where's the special sauce? Exactly. Uh, Yep. I bought this guy and I got that guy. Right. Exactly. So get good, get good, get good, get good. If your coach says you're not ready for a demo yet, thank them, right? Because they're keeping you from wasting money now that will stay in your pocket till maybe three, six months from now. Yes, you're going to spend more money coaching with them, but you, you need to get good. A bad demo, and I heard Kari uh, Walgren say this at Mavo years ago. I was in the room. She said, a bad demo is worse than no demo. And she's absolutely, absolutely right. right.
0: Absol- you know? I, absolutely, amen, pass yep. the ammunition. Yeah. I've
2: been, I've been, I've, I was 19, 20 years old when I first started producing audio. I'm 55 now. Right. It's a long time producing broadcast quality yeah. audio. I still don't do my own demos, right? Because you need a good director to get the best performance out of you. You need someone skilled at the art of demo construction, how to show your range, how to show contrast, uh, and and yet still put this all together in a way that's not going to overshadow the 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 acting and the voice of the talent. That's not something I'm well-versed at, right? I pay well, somebody to do
0: that. And not only that, being all things at all time you know you've only got so much bandwidth up here and so being concerned about your read being concerned about your delivery being concerned about modulation and intonation and all that stuff and yet also you got to keep your eyes on the meters and you got to understand that you know i'm using this microphone so i'm going to wind up being extra sibilant and that's a lot and the too much the value of working with somebody else I mean, yes, obviously vet them, make sure that what they're producing sounds like what you want to sound like. Yep. They should be willing to work with you in finding a place where they can produce what they know you can produce Mm -hmm. and get you that way so that at that point, you can just put that on them, step back, give your best reads, throw yourself against the wall and not have to worry about anything but the read and the performance.
2: Too many new talent think, well, it sounds good to me. Well, dude, I've been doing this for 35 years. I know what crappy audio sounds like. Yeah. Right. You you don't. (laughs) You know? And And, producers and buyers know what crappy audio sounds like because they do this for a living. So don't make a fool of yourself and do your own demo when you're new. And the thing too is, I mean, I encourage people to make their own demos when they're new,
0: but I also make sure to let them know that it's probably not going to work that well because you're going to be too sibilant. You're going to wind up with way too much up in the 10 K range. And a lot of that is because you're not used to listening to yourself be produced. And every time you can tweak something and make the sound a little bit different, your ego goes, Ooh, that sounded cool. And you are so far away from an industry standard or a broadcast standard of what your produced audio sounds like that people are going to go, oh my gosh, it sounds like you just took a mic and fed it into a chipper. My God, what did you do? Mm -hmm. And as you said, a bad demo that's so far away from true broadcast standards is worse than no demo at all. Just at that point, just do auditions with what you've got.
2: And and let's not forget, it's not just about the audio production. It's about the reads, right? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a poorly produced demo where the reads were really good. They kind of go hand in hand, right? Ten. Because if you've got the chops to really give a good read... Yeah. And you're doing your own demo like well, well, I, most yeah. of those folks are smarter than that. Right.
0: I agree. I agree entirely. And, you know, yeah. for
2: our listeners and our
0: viewers, there are different tiers of having your demo produced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for for some of us, you know, two thousand dollars for a, you know, a 60 second sizzle, not unreasonable to somebody just starting out, you shouldn't even be considering that level yet. Why? Because you shouldn't even be considering pitching that level of work. Exactly. You know? and, and there's so much room to work on lower budgets. I don't like it if anybody feels that they need to mortgage something in order to get the traction or get positioned in an
2: effective yep. way to move forward. Yep, I agree. I absolutely agree. Well, the great thing about voiceover, Andrew, Three. in so many areas, gear, demos, uh, whatever it might be, your recording space, it can grow with you. Absolutely. right? I mean, I didn't, you know, this this is a little Cinco D2 I use for the desk mic, but, you know, yeah. I didn't always have a 416, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing, right? Uh, this is my road mic, by the way. Thanks yeah. to your buddy, Mike Delgado, He's right. the one to turn me on to this.
0: Got the exact same one for the exact same reason. Fantastic,
2: yeah. Mike, for the money. For the money. And it makes sense for me right now, right? Because I'm on the road quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. Uh, your gear grows with you. Try and go and start a Chick-fil-A franchise and see what the overhead <laughs> is there.
0: Yeah, that's a good people
2: That's, you know, and that's where, that's where the people within our business anger me so much because of this, you know, Hey, just get yourself a blah, blah, blah. And you can be making blah, blah, blah in six months. And you know, no, because this is a business. If you want to be a professional, you've got to treat this like a business. You've got to invest time. You've got to invest effort in getting good. You've got to invest money, Right. But more in that order.
0: Money yeah. wasn't stated first. Yeah, exactly. There's so much work you can do without yeah. spending a dime. I mean, yes. or just going down to a secondhand shop and buying the right blankets or the right mattress toppers. So mm-hmm. you're not paying $400 for acoustic foam. You're actually getting something that works. But be- that is yeah. such a better way to get in and get traction. Because it is, you can but have, it's very hard to know what you don't know when you're new. Exactly. And that's why people like you and I and so many others, and this is interesting, and I'll pose this as a question, I guess. Have you noticed how many voice talents, working voice professionals just want to help out the next batch of people that are coming along? We seem to be like, you know, in such a cutthroat industry, quote unquote, we seem to be a really helpful
2: bunch. No, if you want to see Cutthroat, go on camera, <laughs> right? Uh, I, You know, I did theater. I've done corporate work. I've uh, done a little bit of on camera. Uh, this, to me, far and away, and second ain't even close, is the most supportive community I've ever right. been a part of. I agree entirely, right? yeah,
0: because I got a face for radio even though I'm on camera, so it's...
2: You know, uh, I think I think the reason, Andrew, is that... and. You know, I, I talked to last fall, fall of 2021, I talked to almost 70 voice actors while I was trying to figure out, okay, what's holding people back? Like, what are the, why aren't people able to find work? And, uh, one of the major themes that came out of that was, you know, uh, we talked about this old joke about, you know, us, us voice actors being stuck in our tiny little padded rooms, talking to ourselves, right. Then throw a two and a half year lockdown on top of that. Right. So everybody was feeling squirrely. Yep. Uh Isolated, alone, uh, like their problems were were uniquely their own, right? We we were also disconnected, and I think even without the pandemic, I think that underpins. Like, you go to VO Atlanta, or you go to One Voice, or you go to Mavo, right? And it's you can hear it in the lobby when everybody flies. Like, at, I use Atlanta as the example because it's usually the first big one after the winter, right? Yeah, uh, people go to Silvis, and then nothing happens for three months. And then you go to Atlanta and you can hear it in the lobby. People are hugging and high-fiving. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, my Not- son asked me one time, he said, what are these conferences all about? I said, essentially, son, I go and I laugh with my friends for four days.
0: There you go. Yeah. Right? That's just it. you go into the lobby and everybody is looking around at like the bright lights and going, there's sun on my skin. <laughs> and It's just. Wait a minute! I I knew you. You're across. You're actually a 3D person, and I'm not blocks anymore. Yeah, it really does have that energy, and I think that what you brought up a couple seconds ago is really salient to me. And that is, when the pandemic hit, (laughs) we were some of the best positioned people for lockdown, because absolutely we are already, we kind of work in an insular business, even if you are, you know, patching into a different studio and, you know, using source connect or something like that, or
2: yeah. have
0: the visual, you know, I was Mr. Zoom before the pandemic, because that's how I coach. And yeah. that's how I often uh, give visual, uh, visual representation to clients that I'm working with. Yep. But at the same time, the other thing is more important to me. And that is, we were already adept at understanding what working in an isolating industry felt like. And that's why, in my mind, the VO community at large is some of the most giving, some of the most supportive people, because yeah. we know what it feels like to be down at the bottom of that silo, looking up and seeing nothing but pigeons wanting to poop on you.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
0: want to help those people coming up
2: and and so I think that is the driving force. I think the secondary force is, as, as we said earlier, there's more work out there than there ever has been. Yeah, in the history of the planet for voice actors. and that allows us to have some breathing room and be collaborative and be collegial uh, that maybe you know there I don't think it was it's hard for me to say, but I, it probably wasn't this collegial. 30, 40 years ago, right? Yeah, it it was, probably, it, it, was you know what? it probably was with a smaller group of people. It was very tight niche.
0: Yeah, yeah. You had, you know, if you were working at a station and again, I was a board op for a number of years and I knew a number of the jocks and, you know, some of the jocks would swap from property to property, you know, doing a little bit of pickup work if, you know, mm. But they knew each other, they would go out and have beers with each other. And, you know, all us, Board ops and or uh the broadcast engineers would just be, you know, like who's going to Arby's? Kind of, you know. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah.
0: but it was, I believe it was more cutthroat back then. I think there is a misapprehension that voiceover today is more cutthroat than it was five, 10 years ago. I think that's wrong. I think I uh, agree with you in that there is more opportunity than ever before. What's different is those access points. To that opportunity and the amount of effort you as a solopreneur has to put into the equation in order to get that traction.
2: Yeah, it's work. Right? It is real but work. It's,
0: it is not the switch, but it's real work.
2: And the mic part is the fun work and the editing part is the fun work. And 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 you know, the going out and find client finding clients, that's not as fun for some people. Right. Now I'm an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I enjoy that part. I don't love it. What I love is having clients that I've worked with I for love three, four, five years, right? Yeah. yeah. Because you get close with those people. You like, yeah. you know, you end up sending Christmas cards and you know about their kids and they know about yours and Hey, how's Robbie doing? Oh, he's great. He's a sophomore in high school now. And, you know, and that part, I love the initial part of that process. Isn't as fun to me, but guess what? It's just talking to people, man. That's all it is. You know, you're just a professional friend collector.
0: That's that's a very good way of saying it. I think that that's something that both of our listeners and viewers um, need to really kind of grok, and that is we are taking a few old school things from broadcasting and bringing them forward into this new world. I think, again, there's a misapprehension that because this is all new, it's all new to everybody. It's not. It might be new to a new person going, oh, my gosh, I can do this as a living. But for those of us who have a broadcast background and for those of us who are extroverted introverts, God knows I am one. Um Building those relationships like we did in the old days, like traffic control did at a radio station or the advertising exec did a little bit of glad handing, even though, you know, go wash your hands afterwards, whatever. Those kinds of relationships are value added and they're kind of really pleasant bonuses to what we do. Like you say, I've got people in uh, Malaysia. I've got people in South Korea. I've got people all over the world who to one degree or another, I have a little bit of a personal connection with them because of our business. And that personal connection is what keeps that business connection alive because they are invested in me. And that's why this whole, does it need- Because you're invested in them too. Exactly. And that's why this whole discussion of, does it need to be P or P or nothing? I, I really appreciate your view that it doesn't have to be black and white. You can use it as a stepping stone. You can use it to start developing those connections yep. and then let those connections be the wind in your sails.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think when you're new, uh, are you going to get a ton of work? Some people do. Some people do. Some people are able to walk into a voice one, two, three or whatever and enable to, you know, get a lot of success early. God bless you. Right, uh, Some of the pay to plays, if you don't have success early, it becomes a death spiral, right? Yeah. Because of the way the algorithm works. Um, but typically, I think if you can use that to get your audition process down, to get your customer service process down, um, then, you know, now purportedly you're good enough to perform, Right. right. Now you've got a little business experience dealing with clients. Now maybe you can learn how to market yourself and get out there and start and grow those relationships at scale, right? Mm-hmm. But you got to be ready to do that.
0: Yeah. And you got to be ready to be a victim of your own success because yeah. I, I I got it in my book. I have a horror story where I reached out It's my uh, as my second gig and I landed a huge audiobook job that I was so unprepared for for a, a world a world known npo that oh, is near and dear to my heart mm. and uh, we were literally talking an audiobook that took me the better part of a year and it wow. was the whole part of a year with me spending most of my time apologizing yeah yeah but they stuck with me and they stuck with me and we had that relationship in place that i've done other work for them in the past i've done done a second version of that audiobook Um, and that relationship building is the thing. And it leads me to my next question from, uh, user, uh, Anthony Proctor says, so without an agent or an established client base, starting Mm -hmm. out can be difficult. If, If P2P sites are so tricky and gig sites tend to underpay at this point, what recommendations do you have for someone starting out to book work and get a fair rate?
2: couple of assumptions. I'm going to assume you have a baseline level of training, that you're competent in your reads and you're competent in your audio production, all right? So, if those two assumptions are in place, the next thing you need to learn is how to market, right? Mm-hmm. The successful people in this business and we we're in a business, Andrew, where 75% of us in the US report making less than 40 grand a year, right? Right? There's about 5 or 10% that are making six figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those people know how to market their services. They know how to go out and find their own clients. Yeah. If you don't, it's not your fault, but you have to learn and you either have to learn through trial and error, or you have to learn through a course like mine or Mark Scott or Tom Aglio or, uh, Tracy and Lindley, right? Yeah. You've got to learn from somebody that's a little further down the path and has those skill sets than, than you do.
0: Yeah. Cause I think uh, a lot of it is that you, they assume that it's because they're better at the read or they they sound better. Really? The thing that they're better at is what you just pointed out. They're better at marketing than you are. They're better at doing the thing
2: that you don't think is important enough to invest time in. I tell everybody that talks to me about my course. Here's, here's the reason I started the course. There's somebody out there that's booking way more work than you with way less talent than you. Exactly. And a lot right. of the times it's this guy, right? <laughs> because I know how to find the work. It's not because I'm the world's greatest voice actor. So uh, if you if you can develop that skill set, right, that's the that's the great unspoken skill set in voiceover. We spend so much time on performance and gear. Nobody thinks, oh, how do I go find the work? Right? Yeah. Because for so long it was just auditions or nothing. Right? We didn't. Twenty years ago, you didn't have the ability to go direct to clients. No. Now you do.
0: Yeah. And so the whole game has changed. And uh, as as we wrap up, do me uh, the courtesy of explaining your course a little bit and what people sure. can expect from it.
2: OK, so uh, a little bit of origin story, I, I think I t- mentioned earlier, I spent last fall talking to voice actors to try and yeah. figure out what was holding them back. Right. And the clear cut answer after talking to dozens and dozens of people was marketing. People don't know how to do it. They're afraid of it. They don't want to be perceived as sleazy, conniving, manipulative, convincing, right? They want to, they, they don't, they don't want to sell, right? And so there's a weird mindset around sales and marketing. Um, and that was a lot of what was holding people back. Uh, when I talked to, I talked to 69 voice actors over 75 days last, last fall, fall of 2021. Okay. Uh, to really kind of dig into this problem. And, you know, because I'm looking at the voice, uh, the the state of VO survey. Not a lot of us are making any money, right? right. Half of us are making less than eight grand a year. Uh, and when they asked uh, voice talent, how often are you reaching out to market your services? Three quarters of us said less than three times a day. Yeah. What business in the world can, can you have where you can yeah. talk to two people a day and expect to knock it out of the park? That's yeah. insane.
0: Unless you're McDonald's you need to be putting yourself out there and McDonald's even does it
2: more than anybody else, right? They're one of the largest advertisers in the world. And if you could talk to two people a day, advertising as we know it would not exist. Exactly. So, um, so that's, you know, those conversations led me to start the VO freedom master plan. And the focus of that is to teach people the mindset, the tools, and the processes to start and grow relationships at scale because this is a numbers game over time that lead to consistent booking business revenue and income, right? What people fail to understand, I think, especially when you're new is if I have a corporate client, they may still ask me to audition. By the way, they also may just hand me work because we have a relationship. They may ask me to audition, but in that case, I might be auditioning against five or 10 or 20 other voice actors. not 200, 500, or Mm 1,000, right? So your booking ratio goes up when you know how to to grow these relationships. And so that's the focus of the VO Freedom Master Plan from Mindset, which by the way, is our largest module because if we don't get that right, it bleeds in everything we do from how we negotiate rates to how we set expectations with clients to how we fulfill those expectations. And if we're not confident in our business, Andrew, it's going to bleed into our reads. Yeah. It just is, is. right? Yeah, absolutely. Starts there and goes all the way through account management and fostering of relationships and and messaging and, you know, how do we we reach out? How do we follow up? How do we target people? All of that stuff. I think the thing that is most valuable to me from your
0: offering that I want people to understand if they consider pursuing this is that. You're not doing this exclusively from a place of I'm an indie VO guy. You have so much experience in marketing, in broadcasting, in the ways to get work, get clients, get sustaining work back from a day before pay to play was assumed to be the only thing there was. That's not true. There are still old school ways that work. And if you pursue them, as you just pointed out, most significantly, the amount of competition you have to swim against is reduced. Absolutely, many people aren't doing this.
2: Absolutely, like uh, the the pay to plays, the freelancer platforms, they're great ways for clients to find you. When you turn the tables and you're direct marketing. Now you're going and finding the clients, and the distinction there is, uh, yeah, there are a lot less people doing it that way, right? And so you're able to cut through a lot of clutter, right? Uh, And and those relationships become direct, so you're making twenty percent or more more than you would have had you worked through a platform, sure. Um, And there's more solid relationships because, you know, if I have to. Send a message through a platform. Every time I want to talk to the client, it bogs down that customer service process. It just does. Yeah. Right. Um, and I mentioned that in the video. Where it was one of my complaints about voices, right? And, sure. and they're certainly not the only ones that require you to, to work through them. And I get it, but uh, it's an unnecessary uh, uh, flying ointment. Yeah. So to wrap up here, Paul, we're going to
0: touch back a little bit on the Davy and Goliath thing one more time. Uh, My uh, user Liam asks, are there ways we can help ensure that the P2P industry doesn't become a barrier or negative factor to the industry on whole? We saw what that did to commercial radio. How can we avoid the same pitfalls? And that was a really salient question to me because You know, we can look at the pay to play landscape as something that's either for or against us, but we're not powerless in it as talents. And that really, to me, was the primary thrust of you and your Christmas list. And that one thing, I would like it to be more fair.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've said this many times. I think that voiceover largely should be a meritocracy, right? If you, if you put in the time and the effort and the investment to get good at what you do, right? Then you should also put in the time and the investment to get good at finding the work that you do so well, right? And if you do that, then you're leveling the playing field. Uh, But when, uh, you know, when there's, when there's, you know, when you just pay more money to get access to more auditions, that's not a fair and level playing field, right? right. Um, when an algorithm is working against you, that's not a fair, not always a fair and level playing field. So I, I do believe it should be a meritocracy. And to answer, to answer your question directly, I think the thing that we can do best is, you know, the, the phrase that always jumps out at me is, we get what we tolerate, both as individuals and as a group. And if we tolerate and say, well, you know, I know it's not, uh, you know, professional rate and it's probably half of that, but I need the exposure. No, you don't. You need to get good and stand up for professional rates. That's what you need. And that's what the business needs. So I think we get what we tolerate and the less we tolerate unfair business practices. And that doesn't mean just, you know, doom scrolling through Twitter and just blasting things that are wrong with our business. It means trying to trying to be the change that we want to see. Right. That's it's a bit of a trope now, but but it's true.
0: It's on so many T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Um, I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. I think one of the things that I want uh, both of our listener bases to understand and really appreciate is that not everybody's your competition. Your greatest competition is yourself. You are Absolutely. almost certainly the one in your way more often than not. And yeah. there are ways to get past yourself and to get past that. Yep. But um, Paul, I really got to thank you for taking the time to come on and talk with us. Do everybody a favor and give them your points of contact. Where can... Sure. Get a hold of you for questions about your coaching services and
2: your classes and all that good stuff. So, there's an, a number of different places. My website is paulschmidtpro.com. Oh, look um, at him with the finger. Yeah, boom. look at that, huh? You don't even have to
0: put that in post.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just saved you an edit right there. Thank you, brother. Uh, that's that's part of my customer service, Andrew. Uh, okay. So, paul, paulschmidtpro.com. The blog is there. The blog is essentially a compendium of the YouTube channel. Uh, which is uh, also at paulschmidtpro, youtube.com slash at Pro. We publish weekly. Uh, at at, the, uh, at the, the paulschmidtpro.com site, you can also sign up for the newsletter. It's called Move, Touch, and Inspire. And the idea there is we try to give you an idea to move you, a thought to touch you, and a quote to inspire you every week. Uh, and then we talk a little bit about what we're doing on, on in terms of content on YouTube or the blog or what have you. But that goes out every Thursdays, as do the videos, as does the blog. So uh, that's the sort of publishing cycle. That's when you can expect new content every week. Um, and then I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Uh, usually either is Paul Schmidt VO or Paul Schmidt Pro.
0: And of course, those those points of contact will be down in the links below. But Paul, thanks so much for punching into the booth with me today. I hope that I can count on you to join me again at some point in the future. But uh, anytime, this has been a really enlightening talk. And I'm really grateful that you took a moment to come hang out with us. But until next time, everybody, that is Paul Schmidt. I'm Andrew Scott. And this has been Booth to Booth. We'll talk to you again next time. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
1: From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, this has been Booth to Booth with Andrew Scott. Booth to Booth is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with andrewscottmedia.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Our theme music was written and produced by Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative. Christopher Vacano, webmaster. Available at vacanocreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got topic ideas, questions, or comments for the show? Email us at patchin at booth dot or by simply clicking the link in the description. On behalf of host Andrew Scott, I'm Gwen Steele. From our booth to yours, thanks for joining us. See you next time. On Booth to Booth.
0: NBBN.
2: The Narrowband Broadcast Network.
1: The focus
0: is on you.